Welcome back to the Atomic Spies podcast. My name is JP. Hey, and I'm Eric. Uh, today we'll be talking about Francis Gary Powers in the 1962 U2 incident. Eric, uh, what do you know about this? Uh, I know that there was a plane, secret spy plane, high altitude spy plane, that had uh, made an oopsie and crashed. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we have Bono. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what it's uh, about you too. So yeah, that's yeah that that's a a good uh, summary. Um, a lot of people will know some of the details of this from the uh, Tom Hanks movie Bridge of Spies. But before we uh, recap um, the plot of that movie, uh, let's have our cocktail. So. Uh, today we'll be making a gin and tonic. Uh, it's probably one of the easiest cocktails to make. Um, get a glass, add some ice, uh, then pour in two ounces of gin. He's going all fancy. He has the fancy breaking the ice. I knew doing this on camera would be difficult. Like literally every other time I do this, I got it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Listen, I have freezer ice. I'm about to mix this with my finger because I didn't get a stir. So I think you have a one up on me. And that's <laughs> the gin and tonic was originally created. Uh, as a treatment for malaria, Wait, really? uh, since tonic water, which is in this, uh, contains quinine. Is that like the Qui-Gon gen of chemicals? Yes. <laughs> um, the amount of quinine in these is a lot less nowadays than what they used to have. You got a point. It does taste pretty lamnesony, so... Then you do four ounces of the tonic water. Now, an actual gin and tonic has the tonic water. Um, there, there's some, like, you can add lime juice to it, and that's what kind of gives it the citrusy flavor to it. The tonic water that I'm using just has that in it already. Uh, like it's just tonic water with lime so if you want to be fancy you can use some lime juice but i make these often enough that it's just easier that way i'm not gonna lie i don't know what it is i've had a lot of drinks with gin and such as glasses of straight gin but i don't i don't know if i like this gin and tonic really yeah a lot of people say that um, it's kind of like a 7-Up. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that's the way it is with cocktails. I tend to like most cocktails, um, ex- except for like some of the extravagant ones. But um, this one, this one I've always liked. So that's, that's funny. Uh, before we get too into this, we should give a shout out to Anna. 
for the uh, the beautiful headshots that she drew. Of yes. So, so thank you, Anna. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Anna. Uh, we will have a uh, link to her like uh, arts Instagram stuff in the description on this video. Very, very talented. Made these uh, like little cartoon headshots of us within just like a couple of days, and it was fantastic. Also, shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped. I'm kidding. <laughs> no Manscaped ad, guys. You're welcome. But I'm just saying, like, you're out there, Manscaped. Like, <laughs> need money. I mean, to be fair, I've heard it enough to know their entire product line. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. And now to the juicy stuff. Uh, Post World War II, America and the Soviet Union were not buddies. The U.S. had a strong desire to know what was going on in the Soviet Union. To keep an eye on their infrastructure and missile test sites, we didn't trust them. Uh, so we sent spy planes to fly over the USSR, uh, which would take detailed photographs of anything important. How detailed are these photographs? Fairly detailed. Um, you can look them up online. And if you're, like, if you're an expert, like you know what these look like, you can kind of tell just by the outlines that you see on the ground, the tire tracks in the area. Fairly detailed, surprisingly. And what year is this? Uh, this would be 1960 when most of this was going down. Holy crap, is our detail. <laughs> All right. Uh, we really wanted to know how many nukes they had, so we could go ahead and build more nukes to match them. And also, we wanted to know how scared we had to be. In the late 1950s, uh, the U.S. had a secret base in Pakistan where the streets have no names, where they could launch covert missions into the USSR. Uh, this was before satellites, so the only way to get this kind of intelligence was to fly planes over your targets that would take high-detail uh, photographs on the ground. The president at the time was Dwight D. Eisenhower. He didn't want U.S. pilots captured by the Soviets, as he was afraid that might piss them off and they might lob a couple nukes at them. Uh, if not the U.S., then a, another uh, Western Bloc country. What exactly is a Western Bloc country? Western Bloc is like um, the U.S., uh, basically everything west of the Soviet sphere of influence. So everything not the Soviet Union, essentially. Right. And everything Soviet Union is Eastern Bloc. Oh, that's the most people where we get Com Bloc. Com Bloc. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Cool. 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 Even spelled the same way. Uh, so the British pilots would fly the U-2s. Uh, so that way, if they were captured by the Soviets, uh, they would open up the cockpit and be like, oh, wait, you're British. London is that way, silly. Here's a bus ticket. Get back. Sorry, mate. Did they not have the same animosity towards the UK that they did us? It was there. Uh, like, all the NATO countries were kind of one thing. The rhetoric against America was much more. Yeah, we, we were the ones that were doing everything wrong. So The missions w with British pilots were successful, but due to pressure back home to find out more about Soviet missile buildup, Eisenhower authorized two more missions to fly over the USSR. On uh, April 9th, 1960, a U-2 uh, spy plane of the Special CIA Unit 1010 piloted by Bob Erickson crossed the southern national boundary of the Soviet Union 
in the area of Pamir Mountains and flew over four Soviet top-secret military objects. Uh, they were the semi... Oh, God. I should have written down pr- pronunciations here. This is... It's not as bad as Romanian, though. The Semipalatinsk test site, the Dolan Air Base, where TU-95 strategic bombers were stationed, the surface-to-air missile test site of the Soviet Air Defense Forces near uh, Sarshagen, and the uh, Tiratum missile range, uh, Baikonur Cosmodrome. I know that, though, because of space stuff. Yeah, space stuff. Space stuff. Uh, Ericsson's plane was detected by the Soviet Air Defense Force and uh, successfully evaded a MiG-19 and Su-9 and managed to land safely in Iran. Back when, I guess, uh, things were a little bit better between us and Iran. Well, that was before the... Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go into Iran <laughs> stuff right now. <laughs> That'll be another episode. The Arab Spring and everything that went involved with that. Just look at pictures of Iran in the 60s, and then look at pictures of Iran now. It's insane. It really is. It's a complete culture hit. Uh, the CIA was happy. It was a dangerous mission, but the results were worth it. Now, the only reason the Western Bloc was so confident flying these missions was because they were confident Soviets lacked the ability to shoot them down. Uh, but they still haven't found what they're looking for. They needed more flights to gather more intelligence. If you're looking for the point in the story where they should have done something different, this would be it. Uh, on May 1st, 1960, on a Sunday? Bloody. Yeah, Sunday. Uh, Captain Francis Powers left the base in Pakistan with orders to photograph targets, including ICBM missile sites at the Baikonur Cosmodrome, the Plasetsk Cosmodrome, uh, then land in Norway. They had to delay a day because of the weather, uh, holding out for a beautiful day. The flight was designated with Operation Code Word Grand Slam. And if you're like me, instantly thought of Goldfinger. <laughs> you know nothing, Mr. Bond. Operation Grand Slam, for instance. Rip in peace. Rip, Sean Connor. Goldfinger came out uh, four years later in 1964, but I don't know if they actually named it thinking of this real-life incident, but uh, it's possible. What, what, when was this information declared? I'm assuming this, the code names were all classified. Yeah, there are certain details in this that were declassified later, but um, as we'll find out later on, there's a reason why uh, there's a reason why all of these things are kind of public knowledge. Powers left Pakistan, making his way to Soviet airspace, uh, but the flight was expected by the Soviets. All units of the Soviet Air Defense Force in the relative area were placed on red alert. After Powers was detected, Lieutenant General Yevgeny Savitsky ordered the air unit commanders to, quote, attack the violator by all alert flights located in the area of foreign plans course and to ram it if necessary, end quote. That's probably something in translation there. You can almost imagine all of the SAM sites in Russia just firing up into the sky trying to hit Powers. One SAM site failed to engage the aircraft because it wasn't on duty that day. Whoops. Someone got sent to the gulag. 
Things went from bad to worse, and Power's plane got shot down near Cosolino, uh, Ural region, um, by the first of three SA-2 guidelines surface-to-air missiles, which operated under the programming of I Will Follow. Powers bailed and parachuted to the ground, but was quickly captured. The SAM center that fired on Powers, though, didn't know that they got him for more than 30 minutes. One of the MiGs pursuing Powers was also destroyed in the missile salvo, and the pilot was killed. Apparently, the MiGs IFF transponders were not switched to the new codes, and somebody else probably got sent to the gulag for that. <laughs> they, they just love gulagging people. That's They're just straight gulagging. It's just a meme at this point. Uh, so this isn't good for America, sure. But what makes it even worse is that in 15 days, there is supposed to be a big summit taking place in Paris between the East and Western blocs. Topics to be discussed were a test ban treaty, uh, creating radioactive dead zones all over the planet was even then considered no bueno. Uh, Berlin, the Soviets were mad. East Germans uh, kept trying to escape to the West. And finally, Cuba, U.S. was not happy that a recent revolution in Cuba has created a communist government in their backyard. On covering Cuba, the Bay of Pigs, JFK, and all that, right? Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. Uh, But what would have happened had we not launched all of these U-2 missions? Uh, One, if not all of these issues might have been dealt with. And would that have cooled relations between the U.S. and the Soviets? Who knows? So how did America respond? Well, they admitted their mistake and made concessions to the Soviets to ease tensions and maintain peace between the superpowers. (laughs) No, they didn't. Uh, Four days after Power's disappearance, NASA issued a press release saying that one of their aircraft had gone missing north of Turkey. That's where the Soviet Union was. NASA said that the pilot must have lost consciousness, even falsely saying that, quote, The pilot reported over the emergency frequency that he was experiencing oxygen difficulties, end quote. As if that wasn't enough bullshitting, NASA quickly painted a U-2 with fictitious NASA markings and colors to be shown to the media. So they basically said uh, to themselves about powers, with or without you, we're going to assume you're either lost or killed and cover it up. This was the story that the Eisenhower administration was sticking with. We'll come back to that later. All was not well on the home front. Mike Mansfield, the Senate Majority Leader, highlighted the fact that Eisenhower had two choices, admit responsibility for the U-2 flight and ruin chances for a decent outcome at the Paris summit, or he could continue to deny the fact that he didn't control his own administration. Well, denial is the American way, so... Yes. (laughs) Soviet Premier Khrushchev knew better. After he found out about the NASA cover story, he laid a political trap for Eisenhower. He released information to the public that the U-2 plane had indeed been shot down in Soviet territory, but he didn't reveal that the pilot had been found and was still alive. The Americans believed that they would be able to continue their cover story that the U-2 was a research plane, not a CIA spy plane. They even grounded all U-2 planes for mandatory inspections to make sure there were no oxygen system problems, which, of course, there wasn't. Uh, But they did that to save face. But on May 7th, Krusty Boy Khrushchev sprang his trap, saying, quote, I must tell you a secret. (laughs) 
<laughs> when I made my first report, I deliberately did not say that the pilot was alive and well. And now just look at how many silly things the Americans have said. End quote. Ouch. I can't imagine what that pilot must have gone through. <laughs> but like getting shot down? I mean, after he was captured, it was probably worse than getting shot down. Um, if you, you have the enough. adrenaline from surviving a plane crash, but then you have to deal with Russia and the KGB. That's true. Um, but if you... So in the movie, Bridge of Spies, the treatment that he received was brutal. It was kind of like how you're imagining. Uh, but the truth is a little bit more interesting. To add to that, photos released by the Soviets proved that much of the plane survived, and the fact that it was a spy plane, not a NASA research plane, was evident. But surprisingly, Khrushchev allowed Eisenhower to save some face, insinuating that CIA director Alan Dulles was to blame for these spy missions. On May 9th, Khrushchev told U.S. Ambassador Thompson that he could, that he, quote, could not help but suspect that someone had launched this operation with the deliberate intent of spoiling the summit meeting, end quote. Thompson also reported to Eisenhower that Khrushchev suspected Dulles to be the person behind these missions and had heard about Senator Mansfield's remarks that Eisenhower didn't control his own administration. Oh, Jesus. Pressure mounted for Eisenhower to clue in Congress about the U-2 flights. Dulles briefed the legislature that all U-2 flights were used for espionage, but downplayed Eisenhower's direct role in approving every flight. The next day, May 10th, without consulting any agency heads, House Appropriations Chair Clarence Cannon revealed the true nature of the U-2 mission to the public. This garnered a lot of press attention because it wasn't the president making this announcement. Cannon said, quote, Mr. Chairman, on May 1st, the Soviet government captured 1,300 miles inside the boundaries of the Russian Empire, an American plane operated by an American pilot under the direction and control of the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, and is now holding both the plane and the pilot. This was on an espionage, espionage mission. The activity was under the aegis of the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of the United States, for whom all members of the subcommittee have the highest regard and whose military capacity they have the utmost confidence. Is it wrong that every time you say Dwight Eisenhower, the only thing I can picture is that episode, I'm pretty sure it's Eisenhower, that episode of Futurama where they go back to uh, Roswell, <laughs> and it's Bender's UFO, and that Zoyberg's an alien. Yeah, I think it would have been... It would have been Truman? Was it Truman? Truman or Eisenhower. It would have been one of those, but... Probably Eisenhower. That's, that's funny. Watch episode for the 30th time. Remember. At the end of the speech, both Democrats and Republicans rose to their feet and applauded. Must have been quite a different time for both to applaud that. But Eisenhower was also a general in World War II, distinguished career. So it makes sense that you know, somebody would say, but we, uh, you know, applaud the president and everybody stands up. So I guess that kind of makes some sense. But um, the contrast to nowadays is just insane. I mean, we've always had some pretty intense political discourse in this country. But we haven't had such intense partisanship 
as we do now. It's like an internal Cold War. Who knows? That maybe after uh, we're done covering the Cold War, we'll cover the modern day Cold War that we're in now. Well, we could be referring to the one that we have going on with China and the ring of bases that Obama authorized to surround China. Um, or we could be talking about Black Ops 34 uh, about the insurrection. So the, the opportunities uh, for future episodes truly are endless. <laughs> Listen, I play Modern Warfare 2. I, I played the mission where the Russians are storming the capital. And then I watch it happen on TV. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Except instead of a bunch of spetnaz soldiers, it's shirtless dudes. Proud boys and QAnon crazy people. Yeah, you know, same thing. All was not rosy for the president, however. Since Cannon said this in his speech that the flights were under the aegis of the president, he didn't say that the flights were directed by the president, which many people took as the president didn't have any control over his administration. This didn't look good for Eisenhower, so the following day, May 11th, he made a speech revealing the espionage program and his direct role in it. In this speech, he made several points. One, the need for intelligence gathering activities. Two, the nature of intelligence gathering. Three, how intelligent intelligence activities should be viewed, distasteful but vital, and four, that the American people shouldn't be distracted by the real problems of the day. <laughs> Don't look over here. Look over there. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. He closed by basically saying that Soviets should look at their own record when it comes to intelligence gathering before accusing the United States as acting provocatively. He also added that he still planned on going to the Paris Peace Summit. That, that's kind of a fair assessment, though, from Eisenhower. Like, I mean, we know about this because it was extremely publicized and the details of it were leaked everywhere. But you have to know that there were instances where the Soviets did things that were just as shady. Um, or, they both or, did them. Or even more. Yeah. Well, it's, on one hand, you're right. On the other hand, you know, Russia says, hey, you're actively spying on us and we can prove it. And he's just like, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> yeah, that, that was basically the, uh, a good summary. And then they did a big shoe dance and everything was fine. <laughs> uh, summit time. The summit failed before it even began. It was attended by Khrushchev, Eisenhower, French President Charles de Gaulle, and British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan. But any hopes of a peaceful summit were dashed as the summit never got beyond the preliminary procedural meetings. Khrushchev demanded an apology before any other discussions could begin, and that the U.S. should promise never to violate Soviet airspace again, and should punish all those responsible for the incident. Eisenhower's... That's, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Eisenhower said, nah, fam, the summit was left in tatters. De Gaulle tried to revive the talks by inviting the leaders to another meeting later on, but Eisenhower insisted that he wouldn't talk about the spy plane incident, and Khrushchev said he would only take a part of the meeting if the U.S. met his demands. So the summit was a failure. Both sides, blaming each other in the Cold War, got a little chillier. 
Had the summit gone better and one side backed down a bit, relations between the superpowers might have smoothed a little. Uh, but with its failure, the arms race between the two powers accelerated, and any hopes of negotiation were dashed for some time to come. I mean, we, we got to give it to the Cold War, though. Well, I mean, the rest of the world does not have to give it to us, but, you know, America, big dick energy. If it wasn't for World War II and us industrializing as rapidly as we did, and then the Cold War, we would never be the military superpower that we are. That's true. In the military-industrial complex, like, ramped into overtime. And Do we need a whole bunch of Dennis-class aircraft carriers? No. Very profitable, okay? Very. Yeah. I mean, like, it makes Blackwater look like nothing. Take that, Dick Cheney. <laughs> Following the E-2 incident, the U.S. began emphasizing low-level, high-speed flights, and spy satellite programs were accelerated. I guess for those flights, they were like, well, yeah, you can see me now, but I'm going to go hella fast so you can't catch me. Well, then the satellite is like, hey, space isn't your airspace, so fuck off. Right. But by that time, um, that stuff was still very much in the early stages. Like, Right. Uh, um, Sputnik had just gone up a few years before, um, and we were like, our space program was just, just beginning. But what about the pilot? Uh, well, contrary to what the movie Bridge of Spies would have you believe, Powers was actually treated pretty well. In fact, he spent most of his time doing handicrafts while he was awaiting trial. Handicrafts like arts and crafts, you know, that's all they were having him do. Wait, seriously? Yeah, 100%. And like, we know this is true because when he came back to America, he like confirmed it like yeah they just had me do arts and crafts <laughs> he says that but you know they're really just like you need to make that missile base out of these popsicle sticks <laughs> it was exactly what's happening there. Uh, upon his capture powers told soviet captors what his mission was and why he was in soviet airspace he did this in accordance with the orders he received before going on the mission Powers pled guilty and was convicted of espionage on August 19th and sentenced to three years imprisonment and seven years hard labor. Luckily, he served only one year and nine months before being exchanged for Rudolf Abel, a captured Soviet spy, on February 10th, 1962. So, Russia, well, the, the USSR, which has a storied history of just murdering dissenters, just for fun. Or Stalin being like, I don't trust this cabinet anymore. Kill everybody. Like, you know, just for shits. They capture a spy and they're like, three years. So, something that Khrushchev started um, after Stalin died was what was called de Stalinization. So, a lot of the brutal things that the Soviet Union did. Um, under Stalin really kind of died down and r relaxed. Um, a lot less gulagging, a lot less people just routinely murdered by the government. It still happens. Still happens. But uh, substantially less. Um, so it makes a little bit more sense that, you know, to save face, especially with America, 
you know, because if they were going to just straight up murder him, um, America might have done something more. But so, is that like the gulag under Stalin? Is like the salty spittoon, but the gulag under their new supreme chancellor is like Weenie Hut Jr. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it was a lot more relaxed in general. Um, the country as a whole, but um, but there's still the Soviet Union. <laughs> I just compared the gulag to Weenie Hut Jr. My career has been. <laughs> the exchange occurred on the. Uh, I really need to start writing down the pronunciations of these because I'm butchering them every time. Uh, exchange occurred on Gleinecke Bridge connecting Potsdam, East Germany to West Berlin. Powers didn't receive a hero's welcome when he came home. The media had kind of made him out to be a coward, both for admitting to the Soviets what his mission was and for not activating the self-destruct on his plane. He was also criticized for not using the CIA-issued suicide pill to kill himself. Jesus. He was debriefed by the CIA extensively. CIA Director John McCone gave a statement saying, quote, Mr. Powers lived up to the terms of his employment and instructions in connection with this mission and in his obligations as an American, end quote. Except for suicide. Except, except for suicide. Well, because keep in mind, like they had even said that, like, hey, if you get captured, just admit the truth. Tell them why you're, what you're doing. Um, <laughs> they, they didn't want him to kill himself. They, they had that just in case he thought it was going to be more uh, like if he thought he was going to get straight gulag or straight just tortured, then yeah. But otherwise, um, as just a political prisoner or prisoner of war, yeah, they treated him pretty well. Okay, my first reaction to getting caught by some Russians after spying on them would be to kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, I wouldn't be valiant. I wouldn't try to survive or save face. I'd just be like, what's up, Russian dudes? And then die. <laughs> it depends on how, uh, how Rambo I'm feeling, you know? Like, I feel like if I had a little bit more experience in the outdoors and surviving and all that, I could have probably escaped and made my way out safely, but Again, his instructions were basically just like, I'm over here. I give up. <laughs> you know, I, I have a plate carrier. I have ceramic plates. I have firearms. And I would still just kill myself if I was going to get captured by some Russians. <laughs> 100%. Pull out my government issued 1911 and kill myself. Yeah, that's fair. On March 6, 1962, Powers appeared before a Senate Armed Services Select Committee hearing chaired by Senator Richard Russell Jr., which included Senators Prescott Bush, Leverett Saltenstall, Robert Byrd, Margaret Chase Smith, John Stennis, Strom Thurmond, and Barry Goldwater. During the hearing, Senator Saltenstall stated, quote, I commend you as a courageous, fine young American citizen who lived up to your instructions and who did the best you could under very difficult circumstances, end quote. Senator Bush declared, quote, I am satisfied he conducted himself in exemplary fashion 
and in accordance with the highest traditions of service to one's country. And I can congratulate him upon his conduct in captivity. End quote. Prescott Bush. I, I don't think he has any relation to um, the Bush presidential dynasty. Are we talking George Bush Sr.? I think Sr.? Are we talking 9-11 George Bush? Are we talking the now painter George Bush? Listen, I can't say he was an awful president because Dick Cheney was really the president the whole time. Um, I've seen the Christian Bale movie. Um, Amazing movie. Christian Bale, I mean, come on. Come on. Um, But the friendship between George Bush and Michelle Obama has really brought light to this dark point in history. That's true. Two people who you would think would have nothing to do with each other, but it's just so adorable. <laughs> politics aside, it's, it's adorable. Ex-presidents, no matter what their politics, just seem to kick it like it's nothing, you know? They don't give a yeah. shit. They're like, oh, what's up, ex-president? Oh, what's up, ex-president? Do you go gray? Oh, yeah, I went gray. Like, that's just what they do. <laughs> they all went gray. <laughs> Then you have our last ex-president who's just huffing and puffing down in Florida like the rest of the old people. Uh, Senator Goldwater also sent a handwritten note, uh, quote, you did a good job for your country, end quote. Good job. Not as, not as, not a good a letter as what everyone else said, but you know, it's okay. Powers later died in 1977 in a helicopter crash flying for KNBC Channel 4 covering uh, brush fires in Santa Barbara County. Uh, all in all, an average guy who got thrust in the middle of the Cold War. Um, but frankly, I would have done the same thing. If the Soviets captured me, I'd 100% be like, yep, I'm a spy. We want to know. <laughs> do, you, do you think that after surviving a plane crash, getting captured by Russians, and then you're in a helicopter covering brush fires, it starts to go down, and you're just like, not again. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> it, it would be a pretty crappy way to go. I mean, he might have just thought, eh, I lived the last time, I'll live this time. Well, I, the, the first time he had, uh, like, a parachute. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have that on the helicopter. Can't really have ejecto seat cousins in a uh, helicopter. So, <laughs> so yeah, that just about wraps it up. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Hopefully, once this uh, Corona business is over, we can meet in person, have ourselves a good time. Uh, but until then, for the Atomic Spies. <laughs>